0: Everybody. Welcome to Drive Through View 501. Today we're going to take a look at Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. Now, this is not a reprinting of the old Warhammer Quest uh, that was set in the old kind of fantasy world, you know, decades ago. It's now set in the Age of Sigmar theme and that new fantasy universe that the new uh, Warhammer fantasy game takes place in. Uh, let's jump into exactly how the game works and all the cool components and stuff that you're going to get with this. And then I'll jump at the end of the review and tell you what I think and compare it a little bit to the old Warhammer Quest and give you my thoughts. Okay, here's everything that you get in the box. You get about 50 miniatures, you get a bunch of tiles And the tiles represent this silver tower. And as you can see, this is a very different kind of look to a normal kind of dungeon crawl type of game. Uh, It's got a very kind of psychedelic look. I think that fits with Age of Sigmar. I'm not really into Age of Sigmar at all, but it's very different. You can see these kind of crystals here. So I really like how this looks. And frankly, it's one of the things that really drew me to the game in the first place. You can see this kind of weird, I don't know if that's carpet or (laughs) what that is. These kind of runes on the floor and so on. And you got these neat passageways and stuff like that so the tiles and stuff are very different very unique uh, for this game now the theme of the game is that you are in a band of adventurers that are exploring here the silver tower and you could be going there for any number of reasons to maybe lay waste and destroy the gaunt summoner or just go in there and try to Uh, you know get riches and stuff out of the tower you may have different motivations uh, which has a kind of interesting role-playing aspect to some of the decisions you might actually make in the game Uh, here we can see the gaunt summoner i'll try to keep this steady here Uh, so this is the main bad fella that you're going to be interacting with and you know i guess in typical games workshop faction that's a very detailed miniature you do have to assemble these yourself Uh, it's not too bad i wouldn't say if you're novice at this you're going to have the greatest time with it but if you've done a few games like this uh like i have it's not too bad if there's some of the more easier to put together miniatures i'll just give you another cool example of a nice miniature here this is this thaumaturg something or other some kind of minotaur guy he has probably the most pieces uh and he's the biggest miniature for sure on this 15 millimeter base here you do have to glue them to the bases as well so nice stuff i will paint these but i wanted to review them Before I paint it, because it's going to be a few months probably before I finish painting these. Oh, and while we're looking at the miniatures, we'll just take a look at some of the heroes here. Here we have uh, one of the knights that you get. This is really cool. I think this is sort of your stereotypical, prototypical Age of Sigmar character there. Pretty neat. Uh, I will say in terms of the miniatures, like this guy is a little bit interesting to me. So uh, this guy, you can see he's basically on one foot here to the base. Uh, So I predict that this will break off, or not break, but it'll come off its base uh, at some point. And there's another uh, character here that's also on a foot, Uh, this elf character here. And you can see he's also, he's basically just glued like that. So I don't know how, like, you know, efficient that is in terms of gameplay, but it looks really neat. It's a cool pose. And you can see there. So it's a very little action-oriented pose. And some of the monsters are posed like that as well. It's stuck on there so far. And so I'm just going to show you some other guys here. So this is a whore, okay? This guy will be painted pink. He's a pink whore. And so monsters come out in groups, but there's going to be different kinds of groups. This is probably one of the more interesting groups in the game because there's a pink whore here. There's two of those in the game. And then you have a handful of these blue whores, which are little smaller whores like that. And then you have... A yet smaller horse, and you've got a few of these, and these are brimstone horse. Let's see if you can zoom in there. That's the backside. So you can see there, maybe, these are little bitty horse. So when you destroy these, they're going to kind of break apart and make smaller ones, and they're going to use different skills and different combinations, and that kind of thematically fits with the rest of these. So you're going to have uh, these Carrick Acolytes. So you can see this guy here, he actually has a blade there as well as a shield on him and you can take a look at another guy who's got a glaive and no shield. And so these guys are actually gonna have different abilities. So as the game tells you to put the different monsters out, they're gonna behave slightly differently, maybe roll more or less dice. Their stats are gonna be slightly different based on the models that you put out there. So let's talk about how the game's gonna work. You're gonna work through eight trials and then have a final combat meeting with the Gaunt Summoner. And you have an intro trial that you have to do first, but then you can kind of pick and choose. And based on which trial you choose, you're going to go through this deck here of encounter cards and then take some out based on the symbol. And the trial will tell you, you know, which one. So it'll say, grab all of these with this symbol, or grab anything that has, you know, this green symbol on it. And then mix those up, and it's going to tell you which one is sort of the target location that you're trying to get to. You'll shuffle this one, for example in with a couple and then you'll shuffle the rest on top of that so you're going to be kind of exploring the cave or excuse me not the cape the cave in this case but exploring the tower encountering these different rooms and so there might be you know the same sort of uh, tile that it tells you to grab but some of the encounter stuff and information in the story is going to be a little bit differently depending on which trial you're going through so you're going to shuffle those up and then you're going to try to make your way through and the goal is at the end of these to grab one of these shards and once you get all eight of these then you can sort of trigger the final encounter with the Gaunt summoner. And so the order of the tiles are gonna be different each time. You also have this random event book that is going to give you different events. And now there's gonna be a number of entries here in this adventure book. Here at the beginning, it tells you, you know, which trials to pick. You always do the same one at the start. And then you go through here. And then some of the encounters will tell you to flip to a specific entry. You'll read that and it has to do with exactly you know the, the encounter or the quest that you're currently on sometimes you'll have a random event and you're old 2d6 and then you'll go and look up some kind of event that happens and so the tower itself is very much alive and sort of reacting and trying to mess with you uh, to different degrees so let's take a look at a little bit about the gameplay and how that works So each player is going to get a character sheet here in the case of this war priest they get a little familiar buddy that is going to be around them so he's got this little griffin hound there and we can take a look here at the warrior priest model as well Uh, so you're going to get that you get your figure and then you're going to take a color of dice a set of dice in your color so you take four red dice or whatever color you choose and this is going to drive the actions that you can do so every turn you're going to roll some dice you'll put them on here and then as you spend them then that will be the four actions that you get. And once you're done spending your actions, then your turn is done. You can see you can activate different abilities based on uh, what you have here. So if we take a look here, you can attack with the Warhammer basically with any die, one plus. And then you'll roll a die, and on a three plus, you'll do a hit, and then you'll do one damage. But to do this Light of Sigmar, you need a six plus to activate it, and it will activate on the whole area, the whole tile that you're currently on. So if he was on here, he would damage anything on that tile. And then here you can see he'll do one damage. You only need a two plus. But then he's got some special abilities. He could use a two plus die to uh, give a command here to his little dog. And then he can do a little heal action here on a three plus. So each of these different characters is going to have, uh, you know, these different abilities. And then you can see he can have a move. So when you do a move action, you can move three spaces. Uh, If he gets a, a hit done on him, you roll... To save, in his case, you have to roll a six plus, which is pretty difficult. Uh, and then if you move and you're adjacent to an enemy figure here and you're trying to move away, you have to make an agility test here and then beat that number or match that number or beat it to be able to move away. And then the monster adversaries have that as well. Now like I said the game does come with six of these. Uh, there are several available that you can get, and there's actually an app for those. Talk a little bit more about the app and the review, but there's like an iPhone app and an Android app that you can get to generate more heroes. And then you can go and purchase those models kind of separately from a games workshop. Now you're going to decide one player to get this rune marker here, and that's going to be the start player, and then uh, players are going to take turns going around to the left. You can pass a turn So if you feel like it's better to act in a slightly different order you can uh, Then the next round you'll pass this around the table then they'll start now the player that has this before they even roll Their dice to take their actions. They're gonna roll the destiny dice So here we have this board here and There's two stacks of cards and then there's a little destiny wheel there So you're gonna roll five purple dice here as the player with the rune marker and then you're gonna remove Oh look at that miracle. I didn't I didn't roll any doubles So I rolled one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, if I had rolled doubles, let's say instead of this two, I had rolled two sixes. So what's going to happen is any dice that match, you're going to remove all those dice. So in this case, we're just left with a one, a three, and a five. And then we'll put these onto uh, the board here. Whoops. And then these are going to be extra dice that you can spend on your turn. Now, what happens to these remove dice here? Well, on the very first turn of your very first quest, nothing happens. But every time after that, you're going to take a look. And you're going to look on the back of the rulebook here, and you can see this is Consequences of Destiny. So if you removed any ones or sixes, and again, if you got triple sixes, you'd remove all the sixes in that case too. So if you remove any ones or sixes, then you're actually going to roll, and you're going to have one of those encounters out of the adventure book uh, that I talked to you about earlier. Or you could have some other things actually spawn uh, these familiars. So there's four different types of familiars in the game, and these are sort of little, sort of, friends of the Gaunt Summoner, the main sort of baddie. So you can see this little book that walks around. Uh, You've got this here. Uh, We have our own not safe for work name for this, but I'm just going to call it a fish. It's a BA fish. (laughs) And uh, so these guys will... Uh, actually spawn and they'll have little debuffs and things uh, that you can do but you can actually encounter them and try to capture the familiars if they come out and you can see you'll hold on to them and you can actually discard them later for a boon to get a little buff but if you try to capture them and you fail then they'll hurt you and while they're out they're going to be you know debuffing you or buffing up the characters or the creatures that are with them so depending on if you roll doubles there something bad will happen (laughs) But these dice now are available for players to spend so if i was the warrior priest and i was doing my turn let's say i wanted to take and spend this three to activate my heal so i'll do that and, but then when i do that the highest die remaining is going to lock and i can no longer spend that this turn at the end of my turn any lock dice will go back to available so that keeps one player from just kind of bogarting uh, the dice and taking up a whole bunch of extra actions but let's say i lock that and i spent this other one to maybe do an attack then there's no more dice there's no more dice to lock so at the end of my turn this will go back now the last player on the turn that takes a turn doesn't have to lock any dice so if we had gone through our turn as a group and then the third or fourth player whatever however of players you're playing with had all these dice available, then they could go ahead and just use them all. So and sometimes you might save them up to say, you know, hey, we'll give Francesca a little bit of an opportunity to do some really cool abilities this turn. Now, the other thing to note is during a, your turn, as you kill different monsters, you're going to get Renown. Now, each player will have a marker, and this color will match uh, the dice that you're using. So if we're using the red dice, you'll, you'll be the red marker. And every time you kill a creature to gain Renown, you're going to move up this track, like so. And each character has renown ability so if we look here at the warrior priest again if sigmar's boon that's your heal ability heals two wounds in a turn you also gain a renown so there's all kinds of different ways and strategies and things that will kind of force your player to maybe run in there or be a little crazy go in and try to act as a tank so those kind of renowned abilities will sort of balance you know with the rest of your abilities so you get more renown as you go and then every time you make kind of a full lap around this you're going to be able to take and draw two skill cards and you'll take a look at these and you'll keep one and then put the other one at the bottom of the deck and then you may or may not actually get to keep these for future adventures which i'll talk about in a minute and over here these are treasure cards and different effects will give you treasure cards that you can spend and hold on to and you may or may not be able to keep these as well uh, if you do use them that's usually always i think they're all discard abilities so it's a one shot use for these so again the start player with this marker will roll the destiny dice and then each player at the beginning of their turn uh, will roll these dice. You don't roll it until the start of your turn. And then in addition to all the actions and attacks and things you may have here, there are a few sort of basic actions and they're on the back of the rule book here as a reminder. You can explore, move, or recuperate. So a move is very simple. You spin a die and then you can move up to your allotted move value. Again, rolling uh, agility if you're adjacent to a figure at the start of your move there. And you move that many spaces. If you're at the edge of one of these doorways here, these kind of like ma- mystical looking portal doorways, You can spend a die to explore, and that's when you'll grab a card off the top of the deck of these encounters that you've shuffled together. Now, this is a very, very interesting thing because let's say you move into, let's say we had moved into here, right? And there's actually two exits. So what you'll do is you will take whatever your deck is that you assembled and start dealing cards off the bottom to each of these exits. So this is kind of an interesting way. So you know these encounters are where they are but you're like okay i think the encounter we're going for could be over here but maybe we're not ready for it because sometimes there's not necessarily a prerequisite but there's stuff you want to do before you get to you know the final boss encounter so you might try to go a certain way so these will kind of split up and it gives you kind of interesting choices and as you kind of move your figures through at the end of your turn you're going to see uh what kind of adjacent uh figures and uh, tiles are there and so the tiles will start to drop off uh, so it's basically the tile that has the most heroes on it is sort of the current tile anything adjacent to that and anything adjacent to those so kind of like three tiles away or two tiles away is going to stay, and then eventually these will start dropping off. And so if you actually have a figure that's way far away, or you actually draw a tile that would go over and overlap, it will blow that up, and then your hero will take what's called a, uh, a Grievous Wound. So they're kind of effectively knocked out. And, you, and if you ever take damage enough damage, you'll get knocked out too, which I'll explain in a minute. So then you've got to wait to bring them back into play or sort of wake them up. So it gives this real interesting sense of the, the tower itself being... Very sort of four dimensional in a lot of ways. You know, there's time and space, and you're going into these weird different rooms and everything. So, that's a cool way to do it. But again, when you do the explore action, then you draw the top card off, reveal it, and then you put out whatever, you know, tile it tells you to put out. And then it'll actually have you roll an encounter table, maybe read an entry in an the adventure book. Uh, if you look here at the encounter table on the back of the rule book, it'll tell you which table to roll on. Sometimes you roll a 2d6 or a d6, and this will usually tell you to put out some monsters. So, you just put out the monsters as close to the center as possible. So this maybe tell you to put out, you know, a number of horrors equal to the number of players and so on. Um, and something I should say actually, looking at this, it's sometimes hard to tell, but you can see this sort of has a black line around it. So that is Obstruct's line of sight and, you know, figures can't move through there. So it's a little bit hard to tell sometimes uh, with this tile because they're so sort of psychedelic. So anyway, you'll put these out and then they'll be there. And then you can keep taking your turn to move in and try to attack. Once all the players have done their turn, then you'll activate the adversaries. And again, you're going to go into uh, the rule book here, and you're going to look at these different groups. Now, I'm just going to spoil the review a little bit. This is a little bit of a pain to keep going in the book. So what I did is actually printed out a lot of this stuff uh, on some cardstock. And so let's say these horrors here activated. And so you're going to take a look... Um, you, it, this may have some information that you you really need to read as you spawn them because different things might happen, or you need to kind of know what the different models and stuff might do, especially with the gaunt summoner like uh, he 's got some different effects and the way that you uh, the way that they behave when you kill them may be a little bit different, but this is going to show you what they 're capable of now these horrors like I told you there's uh, blue, pink, and uh, brimstone horrors. And so they have a different move, attack, and their vigor is their hit points. So based on which one it is, pink, blue, or brimstone, you're going to have that number. What you're going to do is you're going to pick a group. So if there's the horrors and then there was the acolytes, you pick one of the groups. Uh, Whoever is the current holder of the room marker can make the decision. You pick whatever order you want. Then you roll in the behavior table, and then these will do different things based on what you roll. They might try to, you know, back away from you and do some range fire. They may even try to run around and escape. They might be very aggressive and try to focus around one of the heroes. And the way combat works, and it works the same for the heroes and the, and the villains here, is you're going to roll. You've got the two hit number there, like that. So you going to roll two or three plus, and then you'll have a kind of damage. So you do damage, you know, one damage or D three damage. There may be modifiers out there. Uh, if you get a stun. On One of the adversaries you'll put this little stun marker on them And that means they don't actually activate during their turn and then the stun marker will come off. So they kind of skip a turn And once you do enough damage to them Like I said uh, unless you're playing with the horse you you'll just take some renown But these will actually break apart and go into smaller and smaller horrors and so on now in the case of the heroes If damage is done to them, they get a chance to save so if I got two hits on me then I would need a four plus to save so I'll roll these two dice And so neither of those was able to save it. The Night Quester has a cool ability. If you actually get a save with a six, then you get some extra renown. But as you take damage, you're going to start to fill in these dice slots here. And then you can get healed and you'll remove those. But once you fill this in, then you're not going to be able to use any dice except for possibly the Destiny Knights. If you take another damage at this point, then you're grievously wounded, uh, similar to if you get left behind in the dungeon. So you're going to take your model off the board and leave him there and then the next time you have what's called a respite phase or basically get the camp for a turn uh, then he can come back on the board he'll still have his wounds but then you'll be able to roll uh, a d3 you know which is a d6 divided by two and then remove that many wounds now let's talk about the respite phase if there are no adversaries on the board at all then all the players can regroup in the current area and that's just where the most heroes are if it's a tie then whatever the newest explored one so everybody will regroup there when you do that you're going to roll a die and then add the number of skill cards that characters have in front of them so if you have a total of nine you have two of these and you roll a six you're going to get an eight Uh, if that happens though if you roll a nine or higher then you're going to be ambushed if you're not ambushed then you can choose to either heal or search so you roll again d3 And then you heal that much or you can roll to search if you roll a four or higher then you'll be able to draw a treasure card off the treasure deck and there's other events and things that allow you to get treasure as well now if you get ambushed then a bunch of monsters are going to come into the nearest portal and then they're going to get the jump on you before you have a chance to do your turn now if you would have like two respites in a row let's say you had you know a bunch of no figures at the end of this turn and then you kind of explore because sometimes the dungeon gets big it kind of depends it can be very small or big uh, but it, let's say you, you're like, oh, we need to backtrack all the way to here to get back to this stack of cards because we went down this sort of dead end. So if you were to have kind of two turns where there are no monsters at the end of the turn, uh, then you'll have to roll again on the adventure book and then something, the dungeon will kind of come alive because there's no monsters there and maybe spawn dungeons or then maybe make the room that you're in sort of like a trap, which is cool because you won't necessarily just be fighting all the time. You'll be sort of encountering the this tower it's it kind of has a life of its own after you go through the encounter you find the chamber that you're trying to get to you'll have some kind of boss fight usually and then you will get one of these shards here so again as you get all eight of these shards then you'll be able to trigger just the final boss fight at the end of the game so there's kind of like eight trials and then the final boss fight uh, and you can kind of go in and redo trials. It's, it's very mystical sort of theme, but I'll talk more about that in the review. Uh, you'll roll a die for your treasure cards to see if you get to keep those if you didn't use them on that turn or on that adventure. And you can keep skill cards based on the number of the shards that you've collected. So if you failed the first time and you didn't get any shards, then your skill cards are deleted. If you've got a shard, everybody can keep up to one and then you can keep up to two. It caps out at four of skill cards that you can keep. And then you can just kind of keep these or write these down here, you know, which each character had. But this is basically the kind of the persistence or leveling up is just these skill cards. There's not like town phase or anything like the, uh, you know, the old game. The other thing that these amulet uh, fragments will do is for each of these, once per game, you can sort of activate them for a special ability. So you can either do one of three things: you can heal, uh, you can try to reroll your action dice, or re- reroll your destiny dice. So once you do that with the one, then you've activated it, and then maybe if you have a second one, you could do that ability again. Uh, but that's kind of once per trial kind of thing. But that's the gist of the game. You're going to be rolling four dice or less if you've been wounded, and then you know moving around, fighting. Creatures trying to explore and find the different uh, encounter cards that you're going after dealing with some of the stories That are randomly driven and also driven by the encounters themselves They're really kind of trying to maximize the skills and everything that are available on these different heroes Okay, so that's warhammer quest silver tower what I think of it Let me get some of the quibbles out of the way first before I talk about the stuff that I like and there's a lot That I do like about the game Uh, first thing is the app here I'll just kind of show you that a little bit there. So there's this app That seems like it could be neat because it allows you to sort of fire up a character and you can say, okay, I'm gonna play the Knight Quester, put them in here. You can have it randomly roll dice and it builds up like a little character card on your phone. And then you can do that as you get skills, you can add it. So you can kind of easily flip through and you can sort of buy extra heroes in the app itself. Now, when you buy it in the app, I think they're a buck a piece or you can buy them all for like 20 something dollars. Then it gives you the card, but in the sort of virtual format you could use. So like I said, the game comes with six of these cards. So you have six characters, but if you wanted to go buy like the Lord Plague figure from Games Workshop and then use that in here, and then you'd be able to uh, go into the app and use that. Because when you buy the figure, it doesn't come with the card itself. So that's like a little bit wonky to me that you would go and pay, let's say 20 to 30 bucks for the model, and then an extra buck I mean, it's only a buck, <laughs> but an extra buck for the card to use it, and it's only on your phone. And the other thing that would be interesting with the app is if you could control multiple characters at once, so like you could do a party of four, and you can kind of go through your turn and sort of kind of drive that. So I think that would make it really fun to solo the game as well, because you could go to the next character, the next character, the next character, and so on, and then kind of drive them all. But as it stands, you can only control one at a time here. And so that's it's the app's cool, like it's kind of neat, but it's also why do I gotta pay an extra twenty bucks just to have the cards? But it's also not that much when you look at it, because it's like a buck per figure. So, and you're probably already spending you know a few bucks to get the figure itself. So that's kind of (laughs) strange, but i think there's room for improvement there and it's, it it i'm kind of 50 50. you can see i'm kind of waffling on the app a little bit so the other thing is like i said going into and then looking up encounters and stuff for the different monsters like the horror i showed you so that's kind of a pain i was going there and look like because you're going to be encountering monsters a lot and you want to kind of keep the rule book as the rule book and the adventure book as the adventure book and not always be flipping now i'm probably making more of this than i should but i just don't like that they're in books uh, I th- i would like to have had these you know just loose like this and but i printed them out so in the story where i'm kind of circling back to is the game is 100 to 150 depending on where you buy it now granted you're getting a boatload of awesome miniatures so that more than makes up for the cost but sort of from the board gamer mind you're kind of like well if i'm paying 100 bucks for a board game then i want everything to be really well polished and so the miniatures meet the mark exceed the mark the tiles and you know this kind of the cool theme of everything uh, all the components in general kind of meet that mark but then you see something like this weirdness with the app and all that stuff so it's just kind of living in two worlds in my mind from the component perspective i'm just what i'm really trying to do is kind of set expectations because if you're a miniatures person then you may just buy this for the miniatures and use them in age of Sigmar, which you could do uh, and you might You know eBay off of the rest of the components for 10 bucks. But if you're a board gamer, or you might still play the board game as well, but if you're a board gamer, you want kind of everything to be in the box. You don't really want to have to do a whole ton of extra work. So again, you've got to put these together and probably paint them so they're not all gray at least. Uh, So just kind of know that going in. So the expectations are gonna be a little bit different. So I think it's kind of succeeds though. Let's get to the fun part. (laughs) I think it succeeds at meeting kind of both Levels of demand. I think miniature people should be happy with it because the miniatures are great. You know they look great. They're awesome to put together. Uh, I can't wait to paint these. And also, I think it's going to satisfy the board gamer because the game mechanics itself, the way that the game flows and works out, uh, is really really cool. And I talked a lot about uh, the encounter deck, how you set that up per adventure, and you kind of mix that up, and the way that you explore and the the way that that kind of deck will split and separate and go to different areas because you're like okay we walked in here and there's two more exits and we we go down the left door or we go down the right door and you don't know what you're going to encounter and the stuff that you're going to encounter on those cards and in the adventure book is very kind of uh, chaotic so i can't remember the name of the uh the thing that this guy is is it a trentic or something it's a age of sigmar thing it's a zintic zintic i can't say it so there's sort of like the chaos of the fantasy world. The Forty, This is like a little bit more relatable to a 40k style fantasy or something. Like I said, I'm not into that whole world at all, uh, but this is sort of like your chaos group. And so they do a lot of crazy sort of just out of the norm kind of wacky things that are going to happen. And the game really fits that because you feel like you're in this sort of growing and breathing tower uh you've got these familiars that are going to pop up they're going to harass you which is really cool i didn't talk about how this works mechanically but so when a familiar comes out it's going to maybe buff up all of the adjacent uh monsters or all the monsters on the tile and when you you can actually move on to the same space as a familiar and then you try to immediately capture it now if you fail to capture it's going to do something like you know hurt you or blow up all the rest of your dice that you haven't spent that turn but if you do capture it you basically roll a d6 if you roll one two three it hurts you if you four five or six you capture it and keep it uh and then you can discard it <laughs> and then get a cool little boon or special effect to do that so that's really cool that these familiars come in they're flying around they're just these little tiny things that are these maybe these living books that are flapping and jumping around uh you know and then you can try to you know wrestle them down and keep them and keep the magic out of them Uh, so that's kind of interesting um Now, the thing that this doesn't have that the old Warhammer quest has, and I think a lot of people kind of miss, is the sort of epic campaign, you get experience points, you can go to town and have a little town phase where you roll a d6 to see if you got mug, and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of could be this open-ended sort of role-playing experience. Now, this doesn't have that because it's strictly nine trials, and that's it. Now, that's going to be very different based on the heroes that you play with and kind of just the randomness of everything that's going to happen combined with the encounter deck and everything. I really like this for what it is, though. I don't think it's going to even replace Warhammer Quest at all. Now, I feel like that's kind of been... Replaced to a degree by Shadows of Brimstone, which is like your whole open-ended campaign with a town phase and all this just crazy, huge, just a massive amounts of, of material that's available for that. So I think if you want that game, it exists right now readily. You can go get Shadows of Brimstone. This is more akin to uh, the World, uh, excuse me, the Dungeons and Dragons Adventure Board Game or Galaxy Defenders. Any of those kind of co-op dungeon crawls. That's where this goes now this is more like playing claustrophobia which is actually a two-player only game but it's also a dungeon crawl but this is more like a co-op claustrophobia with more than you know two players and it's really neat the dice mechanic in this game Is awesome. I love how it works because you roll your dice, uh, you know, you've got your different possibilities. You've got the Destiny dice that you can use, but even that Destiny dice thing is really neat because you roll it and you roll a bunch of doubles, and then the dungeon just kind of backfires at you, and there's just familiars everywhere, or there's some kind of encounter that's going to happen. Or you can have a really good Destiny roll, and then you've got all of these extra actions, and you really kind of are discussing about how to best use them and stuff. Uh, so this that mechanics is very, very interesting in how you sort of balance what your choices are for that round. And then as you get more skills and stuff, you can get some kind of mitigation, like give dice to people, get some re-rolls. And so it has that good crunchy kind of you know dice choosing kind of mechanic that you see like in a lot of euros and everything uh so it's very neat and it just that destiny dice i keep going back to that because you can have a turn where like the destiny dice are just like they hose you and you're like why i don't even want to roll these now because you're you're not doing that great in an encounter it's like please i don't want to roll the destiny dice because our backs are already against the wall And then you roll it, and then, like, you get a miracle, like you saw in the video, and you roll, like, you get to keep four of them. And you're like, oh, oh, my gosh, now we have all these extra options. So it's a real kind of morale swinger, that that Destiny thing. And it fits kind of thematically with, you know, kind of being lost in this weird tower that really doesn't sit in a time and place. And, you know, you kind of feel like you're going into other dimensions. And just kind of the mechanics of everything really lends itself to this theme, which is very, very unexpected actually for me you definitely feel like you're lost a lot of times like it feels like you you've walked in this tower and you should never have walked step foot in this tower and it's going to conspire against you um and some of the the way some of the skills and some of the encounters really kind of back all that up um so yeah so the persistence is very simple you keep maybe some treasures to some skills and as you go along you can keep more skills so your characters will definitely level up and uh so there's there's a little bit of that And again, it fits the theme of this where you've just, you've walked into this tower and you've really made a gambit by stepping in here in the first place. And the way that that first trial also unfolds, and then you kind of see what you have in store for you after you sort of have this conversation with one of the characters. I don't want to spoil anything. And the way that goes, and then you sort of have to go through this sort of gauntlet that he presents to you the combat is pretty neat the only that's probably the weakest part mechanically is you know you roll a d6 to see if you hit and then you know you roll a d6 to see if you save on a hit um so that's a little bit on sort of the basic side you know but i think it kind of is mitigated by just kind of the overall dice placement thing so I, i know a lot of folks don't like a d6 combat where it's just very straightforward it's kind of you know do i succeed or fail based on what feels like random luck. Um but the way that the abilities go and you can kind of, you know, possibly have rerolls or again, you know, use dice in different ways kind of gets around that. So you can say, "Oh, you're at the end you're still having the combat of a d6, but based on all the different special abilities and stuff that you can do, you set yourself up a little bit better to not be so reliant on that." It's kind of difficult to explain without going through a lot of skills and everything, but Uh, Yeah, so I definitely recommend the game. Again, it's a little bit on the pricey side, but the quality of the miniatures and the components and everything uh, is really neat. Uh, You can, like I said, go and really kind of flesh out the game. You can just go to Games Workshop. I know there's an expansion coming out uh, that I've already ordered, but it has four heroes in it. But again, those don't have the cards for the heroes, which is a pain. Um, So what I did is actually went to... What are are those? Oh here. So I went to Kiko's and print print them out. So I I mean I got online and found a Photoshop template and printed these guys out just so I could have nice looking cards and you know for some of the other characters that I'm going to be getting. So it's cool that you can like take in there's like 25 different heroes that you can go and find like oh that one looks cool this one looks cool and go add you know get like five or six of them and add them to your game. But then it's kind of a pain to go and you know, I have to go into the app, but then I have to be on my phone to use the character. I mean, I'm not against apps and games. I mean, if you want anybody who's watched this channel, they know that, but it's just, it's a little bit clunky, that part of it. But on the other hand, you can just go do what I did and, but not everybody's going to want to do that. So I highly recommend the game. It's really fun. It's really interesting. It's a very different kind of dungeon crawl. I think it, it, uh, if i had to kind of compare it now to you know the new descent with the app that descent has you know those these two are probably right up there with each other and then galaxy defenders uh, is also right up there in that kind of upper echelon i think of some of the better uh, dungeon crawls uh, that are out there that are co-op and everything and i think folks that are more into i think if you like claustrophobia though you really got to take a look at this one now claustrophobia is one of my favorite games and this really feels a lot like uh claustrophobia but just you know you can play a multiplayer first of all and it's a little bit more i don't know how to say this but i think just because there's so many different characters that are available that you can get it seems like this is going to be a little bit more living and breathing and if they do support it uh, then it's going to be something that's kind of worth your initial investment of the hundred bucks and then you can kind of trick it out as new things come out for it um, but I, the takeaway for me is really the theme and that's what what really roots the game for me into something that I really enjoy. Like, if this was your standard kind of dwarves and elves and knights and all that, going into a dungeon, finding the wizard, and all of that kind of stuff, this would not really work. But because they're in this kind of bizarro Age of Sigmar world with this weird g- guy, this gaunt summoner, thing and it's the living breathing chaotic tower it really really works and that to me what it kind of makes it special in, in my mind is that because all of these other dungeon crawls descent and the the D&D games and a lot of these other ones are just your traditional like hey we want to do a dungeon crawl too And this isn't like an also ran, you know, it's not like, it's like, oh, me too kind of thing. Or let's cash in on the Warhammer quest thing. I mean, they are kind of doing that a little bit, but it is Warhammer, the new Warhammer, and it does fit the co-op dungeon crawl. But everything that they've chosen here really works well together. All the mechanics with the theme, you know, it it really comes alive. And so it feels very immersive because of that. I mean, it feels like you're in this tower not just in like a cave or you're in some wizard's tower that just kind of is stagnant you know it's very much a living breathing game um and the difficulty and all that stuff it really really works it can be i think difficulty is perfect actually for it um so you can get beat down you can't have all your characters lose then you just go and you try another trial again you can pick and choose and do whatever trials you want it works really really well so i highly recommend it if you if you can afford that initial investment and you wanna spend some time with it. I think it's, with this, the miniatures are, you know, I think you wanna paint these, you wanna create the photocopies of stuff, and really, it's got that kind of hobby aspect to it that you really want to put into it. I mean, if you just want to, like, not put the stuff together, and you know, that's a pain, and I I understand, I mean, I totally get that, because I didn't used to wanna put any of this stuff together (laughs) before either. Um, I think if you wanna invest that extra time into it, then, that's that's what i think you're safe if you want to put the time into it put all that stuff into it go for it put the money in i think you're going to be rewarded by it um anyway so anyway that's uh warhammer quest silver tower not like the predecessor but i I think a unique and special thing on its own so I, i know i talked really long there i apologize but thanks